Hello, namaste, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobodies podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Jennifer Lynn. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very good. Good to see you. Nice to see you. On this fine Tuesday. Yeah. Again, thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobodies podcast. This is a show where we explore the various dimensions of spiritual awakening in our modern world. So it's good to have you guys back. I feel like I just saw you not too long ago. I know, you did. It seemed like just yesterday, although I think it was yesterday. It was day before yesterday. Day before yesterday. Yeah. What are days anyways? Though, I know, right? right? Oh my God, COVID days, they cool. just blend together. <laughs> exactly. Every day I wake up, I don't know what day it is. But you know what? I feel like it's kind of pushing me farther down into that spiritual sort of dimension where we approach awakening because you, at some point you enter into this sort of timeless realm, right? Right. No, that's a good point. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And after a certain point, you stop counting the days, stop counting the hours, and you're just sort of being in the present. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. How was your weekend? It was really good. Yeah. Really I good. had an amazing weekend filled with lots of different journeys. I'd gone to, uh, well, it was a last minute thing. I, I, a friend that reached out to me, I hadn't heard from in a very, very long time. And she was telling me about this cacao ceremony that they were having in Venice Beach. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. I haven't, no, but I'm excited to hear about oh. your experience because we talked a little bit about this. Yeah. When I mentioned cacao, I'm not talking about, you know, like a candy bar that you would find from the supermarkets, nothing like that. Yeah. This is a ceremonial grade cacao, which actually surprisingly is, is a little bit more difficult to find because ceremonial grade cacao is used in, uh, obviously a ceremonial setting. Right. I mean, it's largely something that you can find within the spiritual community, but it's obviously not something that you can just go to the store yeah. and find it like a Ralph's or something like that. Right, right. Right, so chances are if somebody has it, they probably have some sort of connection with, you know, uh, maybe some indigenous tribes overseas, somewhere maybe Ecuador or Peru. Yeah. This cacao happened to actually be from Guatemala. Oh, right. interesting. And there was a healer that was facilitating this event. So he uh, put together a circle. And if you're not familiar with cacao ceremonies, really using that as an opportunity to go inwards. And it's a really great catalyst for lots of different types of healing. Mm -hmm. So the cacao that we normally see in the supermarket, which, you know, everybody's pretty used to, has very, very small trace levels of cacao. Not yeah. really very much. Mm -hmm. And maybe there are some reasons for that. One, if you had 100% cacao, it's very bitter. It's bitter, yeah. It's not something that you could really enjoy in the same way that you would enjoy like a candy bar or something like that. Yeah, for sure. have like the refined sugar. Yeah, yeah. You know? Kind of like um, chocolate x -lax. Did yeah. you ever eat that as a chocolate? kid? No. Oh no. man, my, my mom laxative? has- Oh yeah, it's a laxative. <laughs> and my mom had some in the fridge and I thought it was chocolate. So I really? stole like a square of it, oh, um, no. but it was chocolate X-Lax and it's super, super, super bitter yeah. um, and kind of like chalky, yeah. almost tasting. Yeah, that's, um, But I love it because I, I love dark chocolate. Yeah. So yeah, it's like yeah. One of the, it's funny when that you mentioned that when, well. when, you're, when you're a kid, you see stuff like that mm -hmm. and it's sort of like, it looks like something that would be like a candy bar that it would taste exactly like a candy bar. I was the same way when it came to things like Flintstone vitamins. Oh yeah. Oh, I love those. You know, or like do they the little, still have those? they do, they do have them. And uh, I've just haven't gotten them in such a long time. And then you see like the gummy vitamins, 
Yeah. You know, when you're a kid and someone tells you that you can't have gummy vitamins, you don't know the difference. Oh man, I subscribe to gummy vitamins. I have like six different kinds. Really? Yeah. Vitamin D3, multivitamins, hair, skin and nails, all that stuff. Oh, you're set. Yeah. It's like one of those little things, just things you kind of look forward to in the morning when you oh, wake yeah. up. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Yep. And you know, maybe they've come a long way over the years. They probably didn't taste very good back then. Anyways, so the cacao that people normally eat is nothing like the cacao that they have in these ceremonies. Right. So they get really into it. There's a practice and there's a movement around uh, the therapeutic use of cacao. So basically I went down to Venice Beach and uh, right when you walk up, there's this, this nice little set and setting. Right. And that's not really uncommon when it comes to like little spiritual circles like that. Mm -hmm. So you have like flowers in the middle and you have people bring their sort of offering. It could be flowers. It could be some something to eat, yeah. you know. So I walk up and there's candles and it's really, really beautiful space. And there was a, a circle of, I want to say about five, ten people, but they started to trickle in as the ceremony went along. Mm -hmm. And um, we sat together and... Uh, it's prepared differently. One is that if you heat up cacao too hot, you could actually destroy um, a lot of the, like the nutrients in it that make it a therapeutic type of experience. Mm -hmm. And if you've had cacao before, a lot of people talk about it as being this very hard expanding type of experience. Yeah. So first you sit, you dial into your space, you, uh, some people will facilitate maybe like a meditation. In our case, it actually was a kirtan. So kirtan is, is mainly something you see in devotional yoga, which is bhakti yoga. Mm -hmm. And so um, somebody or a facilitator will have um, a harmonium, which are like those cool little accordion-like oh, pianos. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we all just sing like mantras. Okay. So yep. that was a nice way to kind of ground into the space. And then you... A lot of them, from my experience, they, they go into this meditation where it's about you being present with the cacao that's in front of you. Normally, you hold it next to your heart. Mm -hmm. And kind of like what Ryan talked about in the last episode, it's just about becoming one and present with the cacao. Right. So okay. you're like holding it in your hands, you're getting used to the fragrance, you're smelling how it smells, and you're just developing your own sort of connection with the cacao. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a really nice, really intimate experience. And a lot of people will just be like, oh, you know, it's cacao. How therapeutic can it be until they have their first time? Yeah. And of course, that wasn't my first time it happened. I've gone to several cacao ceremonies before, but this one was very powerful. And I feel like the universe, in a lot of ways, moved me to this ceremony for several different reasons. One of those being just some healing that I needed to mm -hmm. uh, embark on that day. Yeah. So I, I feel like it was strategically and synchronistically put together um, for the healing of other people, but it really helped me out during that time. Yeah. So we sat with it and we drank it. And uh, depending on what your metabolism is like, uh, it may, you know, you may start to feel the effects right away. It may take 20, 30 minutes or so. But after, I want to say the first 15 or 20 minutes, I did feel that heart expansion. Really? It's like this warmth. Yeah. And it, it's hard to explain unless you've had that type of experience. But it's very subtle. Um, it doesn't have any sort of psychoactive components to it. Mm -hmm. um, there's just, it, 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 it mildly stimulates you in the same way, maybe like a cup of coffee would, mm. but not in that way. It's just how subtle it is. Yeah. You know, and I, I felt my sort of heart chakra expand. And 
you feel very grounded. You feel uh, this willingness to connect with yeah. other people. And your throat chakra is also very open. So right away, I noticed that everybody in that circle all just started connecting, sharing stories. And I think that, that that's pretty much what we did is after we drank the cacao, we all kind of went in a circle and just shared different stories. And the theme of that was kind of checking in with people and how they're doing during this time. Right. Right. Because mm -hmm. there are lots of different dynamics of people that are experiencing the quarantine mm -hmm. and um, what's going on in the world in a different way. Right. You know, so I felt my heart expand and I just felt this happiness. I, I felt like this, this uh, intimate sense of vulnerability. So it felt very natural to connect with the people that were in the space. Yeah. I've, you know? I've actually read that. I read a little bit about it mm -hmm. and um, that was pretty much what people were re reporting. Right. So cacao mm -hmm. is supposed to put you on the same frequency. So you're able to connect on, uh, on a deeper level. So, and right. replacing that fear with love. So right. there's an overwhelming feeling of love and connect, connectedness, blah, blah, mm. say that yeah. five times fast, connectedness, connectedness, connectedness. Um, uh, with your brother and sister. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like an inward revolution. It's like, whenever it comes to things like plant medicine, you try and tell somebody what it does automatically. Mm -hmm. They, they put you into this sort of category of like, Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah. And you're like a hippie, right? right? Mm -hmm. Until you have an experience like that. And then you realize how therapeutic and how healing it, you know, really is. Yeah. A lot I of, mean, a lot of people in those circles, um, you know, they, they, they'll have it during ecstatic dance sort mm -hmm. of ceremonies. You have a lot of sound baths that use cacao as sort of like a complimentary type of experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I find those people interesting, right? That yeah. think that you're a hippie because you're into plant medicine. That's yeah. something humans have been doing since the since our existence. I know. You know, it's before there was modern medicine, there was only plant medicine, right? Right. So I think I we pick and choose. We pick and choose here in the West because there are lots of different things that we would consider in our community to be plant medicine that a lot of people that aren't in the spiritual community wouldn't. Right. It's like coffee is still. A plant medicine. A plant medicine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you could use it for lots of really great things. Same thing with tobacco. Mm -hmm. You know, they use tobacco in a lot of these, um, you know, sort of ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And uh, they use it as sort of like a smudging tool. Right. You know, same thing with thing, various different types of sage and uh, also plants. Obviously, plants are medicine. But we kind of, we pick and choose what it is that we see as sort of like. I mean, even teas, there. right? That's true. Yeah, kratom tea, different types of things. So all these have different types of healing components. And just the same as anything, they could be used for good, but they can also be used, um, you know, in yeah. a toxic way. Right, yeah. You know, Ginger just, tea for nausea. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's a real common one. Yeah, and it's just about like finding the balance with that. So I, I felt very warm. And we all shared a lot of different stories. It was very enlightening because there was one fellow there and it's interesting because when we got into the meditation, he wasn't sitting there. Mm -hmm. And um, so did he come late or he was he just later. somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, he came a little later. I don't know exactly when, when he came, but when I opened my eyes, all of a sudden he was sitting there. Mm -hmm. And could he, you feel him sit down before you opened your eyes? Did you know someone sat next to you no, or was it a surprise? It was like a surprise. Okay. Yeah, it was a surprise. And it, it was very mysterious too, because he had a sort of otherworldly type of nature to him. Mm -hmm. He had this, uh, he, he was a tall, tall fellow and 
he had like this, 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 this hat on and he had like a scarf and he looked like somebody that had gone through some shit, you know, like <laughs> yeah. he had a story. Oh yeah. And for this sure. is a guy that if you engaged in a conversation with him, like he would have tons of really amazing stories of, yeah. you know, developing resilience and, and, and overcoming adversity and things like that. Right. So when we started talking, he also, he had an, uh, an Australian accent. Oh, it may okay. have been Australian or New Zealand. One it's hard to two. tell. I can't tell the difference. I, I, can I like tell, them both though. Yeah. And that automatically adds to the mystique, right? Yeah. So it's like he started talking and he just, anything that he pretty much said was very compelling, but he mm -hmm. ended up sharing a story that I feel like really set the tone for that ceremony. Cause a lot of the people were sharing stories about how the quarantine was impacting them. Mm -hmm. He sort of brought the ceremony together because he came as this sort of like more grandfather type of vibe. Mm -hmm. He was an older fellow yeah, that claimed to have been from Pleiadian descent. Oh. Right. That he was a star seed, in which a lot of us um, have some familiarity with that. Yeah. Like I would but how consider, do you know? How, how could you claim that? Like how because he would one know that? Well, he, he's had several mystical experiences Oh, okay. as well as like the psychic type of, um, you know, downloads and intuitive impulses mm -hmm. from these extraterrestrials. Okay. And, um, I myself has re have researched into that and I do feel an affinity to those, um, civilizations mm -hmm. of extraterrestrial races. Mm -hmm. You have several different ones. There's the Pleiadians and there's the Arcturians there's the Syrians, there's the Lyrans. I mean, there's a lot of different types, but mm -hmm. the more prominent ones that we're more familiar with here in the West came from a book written by a woman named Barbara Mersiniak. Mm -hmm. And that book was called Bringers of the Dawn. And Bringers of the Dawn came out during a really integral time, I think, in our human history. And it was probably only written within the last 10 or 15 years. But it's a channeled message from this woman who... Uh, was being contacted by these extraterrestrials. And when I say extraterrestrials, I'm not saying that there are these, you know, uh, aliens that came from the sky and came down. Yeah, little green men. Yeah. Little green men. Although there are probably, there are aliens that are like that. These specific aliens exist more multidimensionally. Right. You could tap into the current of their flow through various levels of meditation. So mm -hmm. a lot of people that come into contact with Pleiadians um, they do it by going into these trance-like states mm -hmm. or channel type of states. And they start pretty much transcribing this psychic message that's coming down as like a download. Yeah. So the whole premise of the book is basically about, you know, we are alive. And this was also the theme of what this fellow was talking about, considering he was from Pleiadian. I know he probably would have uh, familiarity with this book. Yeah. Is um, that... There are tribes and tribes of people and the Galactic Federation of Light is who the Pleiadians actually uh, are a part of. And you and I, for the most part, probably came from one of these type of civilizations, especially if we existed during Atlantis or Lemuria, you know, mm -hmm. they've existed for thousands of years. So we, as starseeds, chose to incarnate during this time in the universe, mm -hmm. during the time of the Kali Yuga, which is the most difficult time to be incarnated in to pretty much set the pace and lead, you know, our struggling world into this sort of new age of awakening, mm -hmm. that new age being the age of Aquarius. 
I mean, considering it's Aquarius, it sounds like hey, you're hey. going to lead it. Jen. Sounds like me. Sounds like you're the leader. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was talking, uh, he was sharing these stories and it was very empowering, you know, and I also uh, felt compelled um, to share, but he was saying that we have a really great responsibility in our planet right now mm-hmm. as light workers, as healers to spread whatever wisdom that we have. And right. everybody's different. Everybody has their own special, unique gift and sort of spiritual imprint that they can leave mm-hmm. on our humanity and our society at this time. Yeah. So you totally have people agree. that are sound healers, people that are more, you know, wisdom, you know, and truth speakers, mm-hmm. thought leaders. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing them all over the place right now. And a lot of the information that they're sharing is an informa- is, is a story about love. And fundamentally, at the very core of this message, it really is about love because I feel like our society has gravitated more towards this fear-based, fear-centered type mm-hmm. of way. And it's really about bringing um, you know, our people and our civilization back to these sort of devout uh, centers of love that we have in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we are celebrated across the universe. Considering there's only seven or eight billion people in our planet, on, on our planet, which really isn't a whole lot of people, right? right? So the fact that the seven or eight billion people that are on our planet right now are here, we had made the conscious decision to incarnate into our planet at this time to take on this sort of work. Mm-hmm. And it's not an easy thing. Right. And the reason why I say we're celebrated across the universe is because of how difficult it is to limit our divinity to a 3D self mm-hmm. and, you know, move within our communities um, sort of uh, with the body. And, you know, it, it's, it's a really, 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 really big task to uh, undertake. You know, and because we are coming to terms with the polarities of our planet, which don't exist in these sort of alternate dimensions. And those polarities meaning that we have a contrast. We have a contrast in the light as well as the dark. Right. And that's uh, something that we don't typically experience in the spiritual realms. But Mm -hmm. the great thing about that contrast is it allows us to accelerate our process of awakening and spiritual development. Cause that's the whole reason why we're here on this planet. Right. You know, is to experientially go through the motions of what it means to be human and what it means to love, you know? Yeah. So it was a really powerful story that he was sharing. He did a, a really amazing job at making you feel like you were supposed to be here. Oh, that's awesome. You know, so it was a nice story. I love those divine moments whenever you're brought to a place to hear this specific person talk because what they're going to say is going to resonate with you. Right. I love that. And it seems so synchronistic too because it kind of just came out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, and and it was like he traveled the universe and and had been alive for however long he's been alive. He must Mm -hmm. have been maybe his late 50s or so just to get to that point to deliver that message to us. Yeah. You know, and he looked like, I imagine a Pleiadian to look. He's looked like this really tall Nordic fellow. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows, he may be him and Elon Musk probably came from the same tribe. 
oh yeah, he's definitely an alien. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And I say that in the, in the best way. I love Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. He pretends not to be an alien. Right. But he has this sort of smirk in his eye whenever right. you like see interviews with him and he brings mm-hmm. it up all the time. He's like, people say that I'm an alien. You're just like, that's <laughs> well, because are you? you are. Man. <laughs> that's because you are. You know, if there's, if there's going to be a, uh, not a second coming, but a third coming, uh-huh. you know, uh, I, I feel like he's flying under the radar right now. It's oh, like, sure. he could very well be the Messiah and all of us don't even know about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause he has like a soft sort of like kind nature to him too. Yeah, he does. Yeah. You know, and, uh, the way that he approaches his work and the way that he names his children <laughs> <laughs> is just so unique. Right. You know, so I, I, I trust his work. And he has a really beautiful mind and a great personality. So if there's anybody that's a Pleiadian or an Ortegaling, it'd definitely be Elon Musk and this guy at this cacao ceremony. Right? Oh man, this guy sounds like, I, I would like to be there during his past life regression, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, have you ever experienced any kind of like past life memories or dreams? Uh, just in general? Mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. yeah. I, I think in meditation, also in dreams. And also during, you know, one of the near-death experiences that I have, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I think there are a multitude of different types of altered states that you can experience, even through cannabis, yeah. where you could kind of dive backwards through your DNA mm-hmm. and start familiarizing yourself with your lineage and your heritage. Right. And I noticed that those doors started opening and became, and slowly became more clear as I started learning more about my lineage, mm-hmm. like more about... Uh, and I think that's that's what it is. It's like once you start expanding your mind right. into these these places that venture outside of that sort of like 3D realm conditioning, it, it, it isn't so much about accumulating more experiences that lead me to this conclusion. It's more about suddenly I start remembering things. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I do remember lots of different things through dreams, like existing on different planets mm-hmm. and other dimensions. Also, um, seeing you know, basically just like castles in the sky and like these very surreal type of, um, you know, experiences and dreams right? that have to come from somewhere. They have to come from somewhere because you're, I, I know myself, I'm a pretty creative person, yeah. but I'm not that creative to dream up something like this. Right. <laughs> that didn't come from my brain. Like that yeah. was a memory or that was, that came from somewhere else. Right. Cause you've had those dreams, right? Where it's oh, like yeah. you, you, you dream of somebody, maybe just say someone specific. Yeah you've never seen before in your life, mm-hmm. you know, not even in a movie. Right. And I've had that experience before where I, I either met a woman or a man. I've, I've uh, full on fell in love yeah. with a woman in my dream that I'd never seen before. Right. It's like, how do you explain that? Right. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. And, and you're going through all these different scenarios and it, it's not even just dreams. I mean, I've had them and, you know, you just have these, you know, these, these divine impulses and downloads that come from the universe sometimes and you could be in meditation and and suddenly you're in this completely other dimension or this realm where mm-hmm. you're starting to remember these things yeah you know when i first started meditating and i really got into meditation um i started having those past life dreams mm-hmm. and um they don't seem like dreams though you can tell the difference it's definitely a memory yeah. so um the specific dream that i had uh I, I was speaking in a different language. I was part of some tribe and um, I was on a train, but I was a slave uh-huh. and um, I had enough. So uh, while I was on this, on this train, you know, I was beat up by whoever our, um, 
I guess our master was. Yeah. And um, I decided I was going to jump off this moving train and take my chances. So I jumped off the moving train and started running. And um, they were like shooting arrows after me trying to kill me. And um, so I thought it was really interesting that I would have this type of memory because the um, language in which they were speaking wasn't like Spanish, French, anything like that. Like this was some kind of tribal type language. And um, I understood every word. And I remember thinking in my dream, how the hell do I understand this? Why do I know this? So um, I don't know. Are you familiar with Brian Weiss? I am familiar with Brian Weiss. I haven't read a whole lot of his work, but responding to that message, as far as the way that you were speaking, yeah, what comes into my mind is light language. Right. So he does a lot of this past life regression. He's a um, psychiatrist and a hip- hypnotherapist. Yeah. And he did um, some oracle cards with Dorian Virtue. Oh, and she okay. has, you yeah, know, yeah. everybody knows her um, her cards because they're, you know, they're just so easy to connect right, with. Right. And um, he did these um, past life cards with her. Uh-huh. And uh, I bought these cards and the card that I kept pulling and I would pull it over and over and over at different times was, um, slavery and imprisonment. Wow. Really? Yeah. And so I thought it was really interesting because it like brought it full circle. I started meditating a lot. Then I started getting these visions and then I pulled this Oracle Oracle card five times in a row and it's slavery and imprisonment, like reminding me that in my waking life, I have to be very careful uh-huh. in relationships because I easily feel imprisoned or like a slave. Right, so right. I have to have my freedom. I can't be with somebody who's controlling or jealous or anything right, like that. Right. So I thought and it was it, really interesting. Yeah. And I do know you as a very independent, very strong woman. Yeah. You know, so chances are you probably experienced that in the past. Yeah. But that light language thing, that's very powerful. And, yeah. and a lot of the the healers in our community at some point, especially sound healers, they, they start developing these gifts of speaking light language. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if, for people that are listening, if you're not familiar with light language, it's a channeled transmission mm-hmm. that obviously isn't spoken in the English language, but it's just about the vibration that's coming from it. Mm-hmm. If you're dialed into it, it, it would come across as this very beautiful um, and, and very loving type of energy. And most of the time it's sung, but there's also prayers and meditations where you have light language. And it's the same thing. I feel like that's coming from a completely different place. So chances are, if you remembered during that time that you were speaking a certain language, it probably was light language. Right. You know, and I, I'd be willing to bet I get a lot of Arcturian vibes from you, mainly because I'm Arcturian too. Mm-hmm. And the, the how creative you are, how you express yourself, and just the amount of wisdom that you share to me kind of points in that direction. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. But ha- what kind of dreams have you had? Have you had like dreams where you've you've met or seen certain people that you've never seen before? Oh yeah, all the time. And yeah. I have a re- reoccurring dream too um, of a house, of a very specific house. Oh, yeah. And um, what does yeah. the house look like? Um, it's an older house. Like the, uh, I can only, I can only describe the inside because I've never been outside of this house. Somehow every time in my dream, I'm, I'm inside uh-huh. and, um, it has a couple different levels. It's an older, um, I, I would say like maybe 1800s house that uh-huh. was that in my dream, I've always purchased this house to restore it. Yeah. Um, and then discover that there's an entity living there yeah. that was waiting for me to come. Yeah. Um, but I never see the entity and uh-huh. it's in the top, uh, in the top floor, like not like an attic, it's actually a full on floor. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where it lives. Yeah. And in my dream, I'm always, 
I've never quite made it there or seen what lives there, but yeah. I always go to the top mm-hmm. and I'm too scared to open the door, but I know it's there waiting for me. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's really interesting. But I mean, the details of the house, like I know so vividly and know exactly where to go and you know, where mm-hmm. the coffee cup is, where, yeah. you know, the forks are located. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The bedrooms, the bathrooms. I mean, I, I have this complete picture in my mind of what it looks like. So, so familiar to you. Yeah. You, very you familiar. You have to have been there. Yeah, for I mean, sure. How can something like that be random? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like you, you're walking down a street and like something just completely out of the ordinary is, is there. It's like you have a recollection yeah. of everything that's there. Yeah. Absolutely. And from my experience and things that I've read from uh, people like um, Robert Monroe, who wrote this book called Journeys Out of the Body. So Robert Monroe was one of the first advocates for astral projection, Mm -hmm. right? And he was a radio show host from back, I want to say like the the mid to late eighties, maybe Mm -hmm. even before that. But one day he was in bed and he found himself outside of his body and, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as my recollection of the story, when he woke up, his chest was touching the ceiling mm-hmm. and he didn't know what was going on. And so obviously, well, that hop- happened spontaneously, but it got the gears rolling on that type of research. And he wrote this book called Journeys Out of the Body, which is a pretty vivid account of what the dimensions are like. Mm-hmm. Dimensions meaning, you know, the ones outside of this third dimension that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also developed, if anybody that's listening is into astral projection, you could actually research something called the rollover method. It's very simple. It's a pretty easy way to get into um, that state of astral projection. It's basically you kind of lie on your back and at a certain point you kind of you, you, you kind of roll over and then what rolls over is actually your spirit. <gasps> but the reason why I bring it up in our conversation is that the fourth dimension which is the next one outside of the third uh-huh. is the realm of thoughts and creativity. So if you have a thought that occurs in your mind or a memory, it's stored largely in this fourth dimension. I mean, it is in other dimensions as well, mm-hmm. um, such as like the Akashic records where, you know, the, the, the storehouse of memories that are compiled throughout, you know, existence in the universe are stored there. Mm-hmm. But the fourth dimension is filled with all different types of thought forms. So if you think of anything automatically in this realm, it manifests into a sort of like imprint of that idea. Mm-hmm. Right. So I hear, you know, during uh, astral projection experiences that people build, you know, whole communities, homes, universes, and lives in this fourth dimension. And if you are good enough at astral projection, you could venture into these realms and, you know, visit all different types of beings, those extraterrestrial beings being one of them. Yeah. You know, you have to tread carefully in the fourth dimension because you get all different types of energy there. Right. It's that sort of intermediary realm between our 3d existence and what we would consider to be heaven or like the higher realms. Mm -hmm. So you have, different types of uh, beings that live in the fourth dimension. You have discarnate beings, which are the ones that, you know, aren't yet ready to go to the light. Mm-hmm. You have extraterrestrials that are there and they may be just hanging out or they use that fourth dimension as a way to communicate um, to other beings on the third dimension. You have spirit guides that are there, both trying to guide people on our planet, but also spirit guides that are there to try and reroute the people in the fourth dimension back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have even spirits there that have never taken on a body 
ever. Mm. So it's a completely different level of existence. And if anybody's interested in exploring the various dimensions that exist, I would definitely recommend reading Robert Monroe's Journeys Out of the Body and also um, Betty Eady's um, Embraced by the Light. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the one thing that I I notice about dreams and at some point in our youth, I think is something that happens for most people in their youth. Whenever they start dreams, they start trying to figure out what they mean, what they mean. Yeah. Right. And um, sometimes we have dreams of all different types of crazy stuff Mm -hmm. that a lot of, some of it is good. So a lot of, some of it's entertaining. Um, We even fall in love in dreams, but you know, you have people that have dreams of like that are pretty violent, right? pretty bad. Yeah. And so, the first instinct when you wake up is like, what was that? Like there's this, it's easy to identify with dreams as being, uh, you know, uh, catalyzed from within your body. So when somebody dreams of something particularly violent, automatically there's this idea is that, well, am I a violent person? Right. Right. Like how could I do whatever it is that I did in my dream? Mm -hmm. But the way that I see it is there is an emotional and symbolic correspondence between the dream realm and our interpretation of the dreams. Yeah. So it's just like pulling the death card or the tower card in Tarot. Right. Right. So if you pull the tower in Tarot and you see this structure with people that's burning with burning people. with people jumping off, jumping yeah. off. you're not going to be like well okay well my house is going to burn down right might as well move no it's like you look at the the symbolic nature of that mm-hmm. and i don't know how many people that aren't familiar with tarot whenever they say the death card right they just assume something really bad is going to happen but the death card is actually it means transformation right it means the death of uh, the old and a rebirth into mm-hmm. something new right and when it comes to dreams, we really should be looking at it the same way. Yeah. You know, so if you dream about dying or perishing in some way, you would look at that as that is the dream world or my spirits, my spirit guides way of telling me that a transformation, I may be going through some level of transformation. Mm-hmm. It could be acknowledging the fact that I'm exiting out of a relationship and about to embark on this entirely new journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, we were, you know, talking about astral projection just to go back to that for a second because it made me think of something. Um, So I don't know if you know this, but my grandfather was um, really into um, Rosicrucian. So um, it's it's not it's not necessarily a religion. It's more of like a way of life and it's spiritual teachings of um, of of the past. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's nine different levels and at the ninth level, that's whenever, um, and it's, these are courses into um, learning about divinity. Right. Uh And, um, at the ninth level, that is when you have gone through all the studies and then you're able to cosmically project and yeah. And it's pretty cool because he, um, he died actually on my birthday, um, whenever I was 13 And, um, he had some just really interesting stories and really interesting games that he would play whenever he was practicing his levels to, um, and teaching himself how to read minds and that kind of thing. Um, and through children, it's very easy, right? Because they're, they're like little sponges. Right. So you can communicate with them telepathically and they pick up on it a little bit faster. Uh So I remember being like six or seven years old and, um, 
we would play card games. Mm -hmm. So um, the card game would be, is this black or red? So in the beginning, I would get just statistically enough right. Um, and then he's <laughs> like, no, no, listen to listen to my voice in your head. And whenever you hear me say the color, cause yeah. he would look at it first, mm -hmm. then you see the color. I'm like, okay. okay. So we start practicing and then I would, I was getting more and more and more and more right until oh. I was, I was only missing like 15%. It's like developing so, your psychic powers. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so the, that's part of their fellowship is what they, of what they do. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, it's just mis mystical type teachings. Yeah. And, um, so he told my mom a story that, uh, I thought was really, really pretty interesting too, because I was too young to remember this, but he was diagnosed with cancer, yeah. um, before cancer was cancer and before MD Anderson in Houston, if anybody is familiar, um, it was one small tiny building uh -huh. at that time. So he was going there for exper experimental treatments and, um, died. So, um, his physical body was dead, but he told my mother, he was like, I wasn't dead. I was just traveling out of my body and oh, wow. I was trying to get back in, but <laughs> the monitors picked up on it and I couldn't get back in my body because everybody was like touching me. Yeah. So, um, so they coded him. He was dead. They left him called the morgue. Hey, come get this guy. Yeah. And he got back into his body and then walked to the nurse's station Whoa. And, um, when he walked to the nurse's station, the nurse passed out Wow, really? because <laughs> she thought they all thought he was dead. Yeah, right. Obviously. So, um, so I don't know, I wasn't there. This is just a secondhand story from my mom, but I thought, um, I thought it was really, really pretty interesting. So if you don't know about Rosicrucian and their like mystical teachings, I don't really know much about uh -huh. it either other than this is something that he studied, but, yeah. um, I wonder, yeah, I, I'd be curious cool. to know how long he was out for. Yeah. I don't know. Did you say that? No. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that 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 Brista Christian. It reminds me. Of what comes to my mind is this Theosophy Society, mm -hmm. right? Which is um, Madame Blavatsky and Charles Ledbetter, and and they more or less taught a lot of sort of what we would consider to be mystery school teachings. Right. Yeah. You can find their books at more more or less like used bookstores for mm -hmm. fairly cheap. But they talk about astral projection, lucid dreaming, remote viewing, and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know. That's another thing that they talk about in astral projection is that like, you know, realistically, every single person that sleeps, which is 100% of our, you know, humans on our planet, mm -hmm. we leave our body during sleep every night, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it's just about developing, like you're talking about, like your psychic ability to be able to become conscious and aware mm -hmm. of how to moderate through these realms, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's a sort of... Um, a compassionate impulse from the universe because not everybody wants to go and explore in that way. Mm -hmm. And the reason why our bodies um, more or less remain dormant is a way to protect us from acting out those dreams. You know what I mean? So if you're willing to do the work and you're willing to really go inwards and, and work on developing those muscles, you will create those spiritual and neural pathways in your mind and your spirit where you could exit out of your body mm -hmm. and be able to pretty much venture anywhere. You can go to different countries. You can even go forward or backwards in your timeline. And um, as far as what I've read, really anything is possible. There's no limit to what you can do. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd be willing, I'd like to know more about the, those type of practices that they have as far as like strengthening your psychic muscles. Right. I mean, because you're a pretty intuitive person. Um, I imagine that 
that probably helped you a lot when you were a kid going through those practices. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, but going back to the cacao though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Circle back. If, if you're somebody that's more into the scientific perspective of why it is that these things provide these type of effects, there is actually a chemical um, in it called theobromine. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of theobromine? Mm-mm. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's what produces that sort of healing effect. I mean, I, I'm sure there are other components to it. Yeah. But one of the main alkaloids in it are theobromine. Oh, okay. And um, if anybody's interested in uh, some cacao, um, definitely you can still you can get it online. It's 100% legal. It's just really about how you prepare it. And mm-hmm. if you prepare it with the intention of utilizing it for, you know, emotional and spiritual healing, um, then I feel like you'll you'll get the results that you want. Yeah. So you don't you know? necessarily need a shaman to facilitate. No. 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 Okay. I mean, it's it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, that helps, right? Like it, it definitely, definitely helps. helps. Scene and setting is, yeah. I think, kind of everything. Nothing beats like experience. When yeah. you have like an experienced shaman there that knows how the cacao was sourced, mm-hmm. how it was, you know, uh, ethically harvested. And that's like the main thing. You know, and we really get into the energetic components of how things are harvested because we want to get out of this habit of systematically looking at things uh, in the way that we do in our society. We really want to pay attention to the intention behind the use of this starting from the very beginning, which is Mm -hmm. when we take it from the earth, you know, giving thanks to the plant, um, harvesting it and you know, preparing it in a very sacred and ceremonial way. And if you're somebody that's, you know, really taken in by or is really empathetic and sensitive to energy, you can really feel the difference between mm-hmm. ceremonial cacao and non-ceremonial cacao. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it definitely helps having a shaman. But, you know, if you really, really wanted to um, learn about it, mm-hmm. There, it, it's really simple to just, you know, you can go to a sound bath, you can go to a, a yoga class, you can go to a, an ecstatic dance class. There are a lot of different resources available, um, especially in the Los Angeles area where you could meet somebody that can really connect you to that world. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Just the same way as the, the, the people that have those connections with the essential oils and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a really, really, really beautiful experience. It was very healing for me. It was nice to have that conversation about awakening. Um, I left feeling very, very empowered. And a lot of the different people that were there um, also went through various levels of healing. There was actually a couple there. Oh yeah? Yeah, there was a couple there. They looked like a new couple, which is really nice to see. I mean, I'm a Libra and my ruling planet is Venus. So I'm always looking for the love somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. nothing more beautiful than seeing two people that are about to embark on that journey. Man, I I wonder if they knew each other previously because like right now it's so hard to meet people during COVID and kind of right. getting out and yeah. into the world. And that was their intention too, because every person had to talk about what their intention was with the cacao. Mm-hmm. And they were very, very external about what their intention was. And their intention was, you know, uh, we started seeing each other. We are spending a lot more time together and we haven't been able to leave the home and to go and sort of uh, out into the world and experience life as any normal couple 
would. Right. You know, they're more more or less likely limited to their four walls or, you know, a lot of people in our community are, are mindfully still doing the things that they do. Mm-hmm. But collectively, the world is obviously very different. So it did seem like they were struggling with some things. Yeah. I don't think it was about proximity. I think it was more about, you know, spending more time together mm-hmm. and um, navigating through shadow, which comes out in every relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, trying to maintain some level of normalcy. Right. You know, but it did seem that uh, they were a, a relatively new new couple. You know, I, that makes me think of something. So um, there is a list, and I actually got fished on this earlier because I was talking to... Lists <laughs> <laughs> are always fun. Yeah. So um, I was talking to my, my friend who, um, and this is a whole nother, this is a whole nother story, but she is now dating my brother and this is like my best friend and they moved in together. Uh Um, and it's still, this is still like a pretty big adjustment for me, even though they've been together for a year now. Um, so she was talking about one of their little fights, you know, and I still think of them as being in an early relationship, even, even after it being a year. Right. So I was talking to her about it and then, um, I was on my phone and I was sent this, this list, like the 18 um, worst mistakes people make in early relationships, because obviously my phone heard me talking about it. Right. I would love to hear about that. So I pulled it up and Uh um, I just pulled it up right now so I could share it with you because um, it made me think of that. Number two on the list was revealing emotions too soon. Revealing emotions. What was number one? Um, Number one was falling too fast. Wait, wait, wait. Are we counting from 10 to one? No, no, no. We're going to go one to two, but I, I brought up two because you brought up this couple, right? So does it go by level of severity? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's just a list. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so mistake number one was falling too fast. So, um, and these are mistakes couples make in the very early stages, in the early stages. Yeah. So, um, people are in a hurry to kind of commit. And especially now with the pressure of like COVID, like you're like, well, I can't really like go out and date this person. So maybe we just become an item and see if this is going to work, you know? So maybe we're skipping a few steps and, you know, uh, falling too fast and committing a little bit too soon. Mm. So that was number one. Well, number let me talk about, let me talk about number one really quick. Cause that pressure is very real. Yeah. That's real. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you feel this sort of walls closing of, it, it seems it just gives you this sort of impression that we're running out of time in some way. Right. Right. And, and you're running out of opportunities. There's right. not as many opportunities out there. Right, right. I, I even heard um, one of my friends telling me that a lot of the dates that are happening right now are moving to sort of like these Zoom calls. Right. You know, <laughs> that, that yeah. you know, you, you think that things like Tinder or Bumble are, are difficult enough. It's like now we're having to learn an entirely different dynamic and way to connect with somebody through a zoom call. Right. You know, so I can imagine what that's like. Oh man. You know, it's like you show up in your dress and you're, you're looking good and you're like, <laughs> oh, Hey, what's going on? Right. You know, if, if that were me, it'd have a green screen behind me mm-hmm. and it would have like some paradise, some scene from like Bali behind. Me. Right. You know what I mean? You don't want to have like your date just in like a bedroom or something. I try yeah. to maintain some, some level of mystery Right. Yeah. You know, with that, but no, no, you're right. I I feel like it's, that pressure is definitely real. Yeah. You know, because one people aren't connecting with uh, as many people as they were before. So I feel like the very core on a more serious note, people are really craving that human connection. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So if had it not been quarantine, I would say 
moving too fast in a relationship is obviously not a good thing, but I can't blame people for doing that now if that's what they do. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. I understand it. I understand the logic behind it. Right. Yeah. But definitely don't move too fast. Get to know them a little bit better. Get to know them a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So number two was revealing emotions too soon. So you're talking about being at this cacao ceremony and your heart chakras open and you're on the same frequency and everybody's communicating and sharing their feelings. Um, And you know, that's, I, I think this list was not referring more to that and that re- vulnerability. Yeah. Um, it's people saying words like, I think I'm falling in love with you. Oh yeah. You shouldn't say that. Yeah. Don't say that. I mean, I get that there's from the more spiritual perspective, there's the universal love. Right. Right. Like I can still love somebody in a platonic way right. and not want to be with them. Right. But you're talking about the, obviously you're, you're, the bachelor bachelorette. I think I'm falling in love with eight people. Yeah. 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 That's not going to be interpreted well. Right. <laughs> so I definitely think that there's, there, it's okay to communicate feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's how you connect. That's how you relate to another person. But if you're talking about those big words, yeah, you would have to give it some time, not only just to go by the rules, but because you want, you know, you want it to flow, you know, like you, you, you want it to just sort of organically arise. You right. don't want to, because love that those words mean so many different things to so many different people. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's just about, you'll get to a point where your intuition and your spirit will just tell you when it's time to connect in that way, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that's so true. My grandma mm -hmm. has a saying that a candle that burns twice as hot will burn out twice as fast. Yeah. So anytime you have, that hot and heavy relationship in the beginning, we're like, Oh my God, we're so in love and this and that. And you don't, you haven't really taken the time to really get to know each other yet. Those relationships end so quickly. That's true. I mean, they're over before they start. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that we definitely have to like really pay attention to in, especially in the spiritual community um, because it almost can be looked at as a form of spiritual bypassing because you have um, people. And I've even been in relationships like this where it's like, you know, you, you, you feel something for somebody and every part of you is saying that this is either a twin flame relationship, a soulmate relationship, a karmic relationship, whatever title that you want to give to it. Mm -hmm. Um, It can keep you from having to really do the work and getting to know somebody. Because if you were to, you know, approach a woman or a man and they felt the same way, it was like, Hey, like, I feel like I know you. I feel like I've been with you. I feel like you're my soulmate. Right automatically you skip to the good stuff, right? right. It's mm-hmm. like you, you buy it and not everybody does this, but it becomes really easy to do that, which is you can just, you know, believe that you had spent lifetimes together and maybe in some cases you did, but it's really important to develop a journey together in this dimension, in this realm. And that mm-hmm. means taking your time, yeah, taking your time with it because I've, I've, you know, I've had several friends in the past that, I experienced the beginning stages of that. And they were like, yeah, it's a soulmate relationship that ended up lasting only a couple months. Yeah. So how do you, you know, that's a, how do you explain that? How do you explain that? Yeah. Right. So it really, really calls for um, various levels of accountability and understanding of who your partner is, but you know, when to know when a good time to move forward, because it could obviously also be looked at as an insecurity Yeah. to having to move and, and, and push through so quickly. Right you know, yeah. yeah. Which is a perfect segue into number three, which is talking yourself out of concerns. So if someone is giving you those red flags in the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, those 
words of affirmation and love and mm-hmm. it, they feel so good. But at the same time, there's a part of you that is like, is this real? Is this, a, is this like doubt? Yeah. A little bit of doubt. Right. Um, but, uh, even concerns on a bigger level too, maybe you're out to dinner and your, uh, date is disrespectful to the waiter. Right. You know, yeah, so those yeah. are deal breakers for me. Right. Um, Does so fall into that one. Can you read that one again? What is that? Um, it talking yourself out of concerns, talking yourself out of concerns. Yeah. I'm a little iffy on that one still. Or like a joke that maybe is like a little off color and you feel like, mm, that kind of felt weird. Oh, so um, it's like, kind of like an ignoring, um, ignoring things that would normally concern you. Right. Um, but since you like this person, you're kind of overlooking, you're like, well, it was just a joke. Right. Or So it's like when you're able to see colors of different types of behavior that aren't, that aren't uh, cohesive with who they actually are. Yeah. That's and, a big and, one. And aren't aligned with you, that right? aren't aligned with values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a huge one. That's a big one. That's a very, very big one because I feel like a lot of people will skimp on their own values mm-hmm. with somebody for several different reasons. I mean, there could be a myriad of different reasons, you know, one of those being just physical attraction, um, but it shows up in different ways. So yeah, it's definitely important to pay attention and energetically, and that's, that's the energetics of it, right? It's like if you really connect with somebody, there's this part of you that for the most part, maybe it's a psychic sort of intuitive impulse, mm-hmm. but, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at determining, you know, uh, how mindful or how kind somebody is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really good at sort of pinpointing where those type of inconsistencies are. Right. You know, yeah. but just, you know, it's really important to pay attention and uh, to just really be present with, you know, your partner, soon to be partner and really look at those red flags because we'll overlook a lot of things mm-hmm. for somebody that we're attracted to. Oh, a hundred, hundred percent. We've you all know, been there. We've all done that. We've all, you've, yeah, it's, oh, man. And it's not as obvious in those moments that that's no, what you're not. doing because you're like, ah, uh, you know, just obviously, you know, the, the, it's not that there's a drive for change. It's not like you think that somehow you're going to be able to change this person. Although some people will do that. They'll mm-hmm. have that type of mind frame. But for me, it'd be, it's, it's more of like, I'm in, in, in this has worked to my benefit, um, but also against me where it's like you, you feel compassion and love for them. Right. And you always want to see the best in them, mm-hmm. regardless of how they treat you. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and there's like a certain point where you have to, um, really understand your value and your in you know what it is that you need as far as love and your love languages and at a certain point you just have to say you know what i will do a lot of things but not at the cost of my own happiness right you know so it it, it it's it's so easy to overlook those things but it's really really important to look at those red flags in the beginning yeah oh isn't it yeah. Yeah. And that's on the list too. We'll, we'll get to that one. Mm-hmm. So, um, number four is, um, blowing them up constantly. Oh so, yeah. That's across the board. Not a good one. Yeah. It's, it's really not. Um, whenever you're into someone, you have that desire to want to see them and talk to them and hang out with them and get to know them more. Right. But, um, you don't want to not text in the way where you're playing games. You just want to be mindful right. that, you know, this person needs to have their own life and their own privacy too. Right. And like a little break from you, give them a little time to miss you. Yeah. Um, sending back to back text or long text or right. anything like that. Maybe refrain from yeah. that. I think it's, it's, it, it's it varies by partner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would even go as far as to say that it really depends on the, your star sign mm-hmm. also where your moon is. Yeah. Like I'm a Libra sun 
Gemini moon, Pisces rising. So my Gemini moon likes to communicate. I'm a Gemini moon. Really? Yep. Oh, high five. That's why we're sitting here right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So <laughs> I like to communicate, right? Mm -hmm. I like to communicate with my partners. And if you have this sort of energetic connection with, you know, whoever your significant other is, mm -hmm. they're okay with you sending paragraphs through text messages. Oh, for sure. Right. And there are some people maybe, um, you know, maybe that are more Aries, maybe they're, they're more action oriented. Maybe, you know, some people prefer shorter texts. So it's really important. I think whoever it is that you're dating, just read the energy, right. You know, like match their energy and develop kind of like your own flow. Mm -hmm. And also it's almost like a way of just, you know, like that person, that woman, that man also wants to know that you have your own life, mm -hmm. that you have your own stuff going on. Right. You know, and you know, it, it's, it's just about trusting, mm -hmm. trusting that if the universe brought you guys together, that, you know, that in that moment is enough and things will just naturally flow. I mean, given if this is somebody that is really serious about that connection, yes. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody that's obviously playing games, you'll probably pick up on that. Yeah, for sure. You can pick up that on that pretty quickly. Yeah. So mistake number five, getting physical too quickly. Oh, these are getting intense, Jim. Yeah. So, so this is a tough one, right? Yeah. Um, especially in our society now, it, that's people use sex as a way of getting to know each other now. It's, they're not using sex in a way to have this deeper connection. Right. So it's, it's almost to the point, I don't, I don't want to compare it to shaking hands, but <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I mean, it's becoming very casual. It is. And I think a, a large part of that has to do with the fact that people don't have the time, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, our Or don't want to invest in the time, right? right. Don't, don't want to invest the time. But I think on a collective level, at least from my experience, like technology with the advent of all the different developments that we have in technology and how fast paced our world is now and how much people have to work in order to gain a living. Mm -hmm. um, it's their way of sort of cutting corners. It's like, I don't have the time, like maybe, you know, uh, we did as kids mm -hmm. to spend on this sort of thing, but you're right. There are many people out there that if they love somebody enough, they will make the time. Right. You know, but I have mixed feelings on, the whole, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to put it into a box and say that you absolutely have to know someone 100% before yeah. you engage in intercourse with them. I think it's it's just more of intuitively reading your partner. And I like, for example, I, I, I knew a couple that, uh, well, a, a few different examples, right? I, there were, I knew a couple that had, they were their first loves out of elementary school. Mm -hmm. stood together through high school and stood together through college. They were the only people that they had ever been with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there are some people that are sort of designed for a certain type of life. And then there are other couples that I've met that they've only known each other a couple months and they ended up being married for 40 years, mm -hmm. 50 years. They're still together. Yeah. So it's, I think it really just depends. But I think if, you're right. I think you're right. But you have to be careful of it, um, of the sex, not hijacking your emotions. Yeah. Um, cause that, that I've personally experienced that, right. Where you, mm -hmm. um, get physical with someone and that element is so good yeah. that you go back up to one of these other mistakes and start like right. ignoring concerns. Yeah. Um, because that, that element is there and the chemistry is there and everything's feeling good and right. awesome. 
Um, but then you're ignoring the signs that, hey, we don't really have that much in common. Mm. I don't really like his lifestyle yeah. or X, Y, or Z. It's really good to have a balance and um, to be really well connected to your mind as well as your heart. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when you are dialed in to your heart, there's that deeper that that deeper sort of intrinsic want and drive to get to know them as a person, mm-hmm. to connect with them as a spirit. Right. But the mind, considering it is an organ, it has a different way of moderating and processing emotions and feelings like that because it's pretty much expertise is in dabbling in neurochemicals. Mm-hmm. So whenever you are with somebody, either that you are interested in romantically or somebody that you're in love with, I mean, it's releasing ample amounts of serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, mm-hmm. you know, the whole spectrum of reward centers and pleasure right. centers in your brain are going off and we can get addicted to those. Oh, for sure. So if the sex is amazing, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what we're responding to. I mean, the, the emotions may be there, but if, if, like you say, if that candle's burning way too hot, that could overshadow your sort of like personal values and wanting to get to know somebody. Yeah. And your judgments, your judgments just become so skewed. Yeah. But do I think, do I look at the sort of like conventional Christian Catholic way of you have to be married before you have sex? No, I don't, I I don't don't agree with that. I don't subscribe to that either, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not saying that (laughs) we, we want people to get married out of wedlock or whatever. I think it's just, it's an, an energetic thing. Right. It just, if you're, if you and your partner are committed to really getting to know each other, you'll know when it's time. Yeah. You know? And you know, this is crazy. Actually, I, I just saw on social media, one of my girlfriends, um, she actually did wait until marriage really? and yeah. And they work for her and their wedding was supposed to be, um, uh, during COVID and it got canceled. So oh. they ended up eloping. So yeah, I'm like, good for her. Yeah. They'll save, you know, a few Twenty thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. And, Use that, you know, for something I'm else. I'm all for ceremonies when it comes to getting married, but the how expensive they are, are ridiculous. Yeah, well, you've been married, so you know the theatrics of the whole thing and feeding and drinks and yeah, exactly. So it's I crazy. mean, it's it's. I'm happy that they eloped because yeah. at the end of the day, it's really just about your connection mm-hmm. and having you know if, if your family's there, if your family's in your life and your friends are in your life, then they know about your partner. Yeah. And if they know about your partner, chances are they support. Mm-hmm. And you Absolutely. can just throw a party, you can throw a gathering, have all of them there. And, and you know, it, to me, I look at it as every moment that you spend with your partner, especially with your friends or with your family, is a sacred sort of ceremony. Yeah. So that wedding never ends. Yeah. You That's know. so true. I like, ah, I really like that. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> okay. So number six oh, is almost there. Yeah. Well, we're like halfway. Okay. So, um, getting nosy about money. Oh, that's a tough one. Now this, I had, um, the, an interesting personal story. So I'm from Texas yeah. and, um, men in Texas are a little bit more gentlemanly and really? they don't ask. Yeah. Is they it like just, an old fashioned thing? Yeah. It's yeah. I, I would say a little old fashioned, right? They open your doors. Yeah. I've had men bring me flowers on first dates, like uh-huh. very, uh, they're courting you. This is mm-hmm. your gentleman caller that's coming to pick you up and, right, right. <laughs> and take you on a date. So um, when I moved to California, I had a little bit of a culture shock because people here are not that way. Uh-huh. And um, I got on match.com because this was like 10 years ago um, to meet people. I didn't know anyone here. So I was like, well, 
I can meet some guys and maybe meet some of their girlfriends and connect and get some female friends too. Mm -hmm. So let's have at it. So I started going on dates um, and meeting lots of new people. Yeah. So one of my dates, this was a first date. We sat down and had the getting to know you interview, right? Like, so what do you do? Like fun stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm a nurse. I work for a pharmaceutical company. And, um, he was like, oh, okay. So you make pretty, pretty good money. What do you make? Like 80, 90 a year? Oh, he straight up asked you that. Yes. He straight up asked me. And I was so uncomfortable and I was like, ah, I'm sorry. I, maybe it's cause I'm not from here, but where I come from, like that's considered rude. Right. And he was like, what? Like no big deal. I bet he walked on the out. I bet he walked on the inside of the street down a sidewalk too, right? He did. He did. Yes. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) That, That, that is overlooking. Red flags for sure. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah I, I I don't even tread into that realm, especially on first dates. Right. It's almost like the people that do have an objective, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to size you up. They're trying to figure out, okay, does this woman either fit into my life, right? Fit into my lifestyle, mm-hmm. and uh, I think more than likely those type of people are the ones that would ask questions like that. I never once thought while dating anybody to ever ask them about what their income bracket or what their right. socioeconomic status is on a first date. Yeah. You know, unless they were an, an economist or <laughs> right. had, like played some sort of role in, I don't know, the government, you know, uh, I would never, I would never think to anything like that. You know, that monetary side is, is not anything that I look at. I don't integrate that with love, especially, you know, even at the beginning. Right. I totally agree. So number seven is faking interest in their hobbies. Oh, oh, yeah. That's yeah. a tough one because you, you, you may never know. Right. You know? And you know, this made, this one made me think of, um, of one of our past guests. He said, he was like, oh, because I'm such a spiritual person. I don't usually attract these goddess, like spiritual women. Yeah. I attract women that, um, really don't know much about spirituality and are looking to like learn from me. Right. And I was thinking like, how can you differentiate if this person is faking interest in your interest uh-huh. or if this is something that they really are interested in? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's another only time will tell. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I just, I, I want to see the best in people. Mm-hmm. And I assume that if you've gotten as far as going on a date with somebody that you have some common interests and common values, mm-hmm. unless, you know, maybe you're a narcissistic person that, you know, deliberately or unconsciously goes after more empathetic people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are obviously the ones that you have to worry about or the narcissist, covert narcissist, the ones that oh, for sure. have these sort of, you know, um, hidden agendas and they are out there. Yeah. And they're definitely out there and they're even out there in the spiritual communities too. Right. You know, because the spiritual community and, and consists of largely empathetic people, mm-hmm. very mindful, very kind, very beautiful people that for the most part have dedicated their lives to not only healing themselves, but to also healing other people. Right. So, you know, whenever you come across somebody that, you know, has that sort of, aggressive type of mentality there's always that sort of nat- this this sort of natural pull within an empath to want to soften the energy in mm-hmm. them a little bit yeah and vice versa but that becomes a really chaotic dance and maybe some people use those relationships as sort of maybe karmic relationships the repaying debt from past lives mm-hmm. i don't know i don't there's know there's so, so many different reasons why someone would enter into a relationship like that but ultimately from the collective 
perspective. It's all just learning. Yeah. You know, so I would never pretend to be interested in my partner's stuff. I, if I got to that point, I, I knew I would support, and that's what love is, right? I would right. support anything that they decided to do, even outside of, outside of hobbies, because I felt like if you loved somebody, which I imagine most people do, you'll just naturally want to support them. It won't even be mm-hmm. a question of whether or not I support their hobbies or not. It's just, I love them. I support them. Right. 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of this really interesting, really uh, interesting quote by Osho. And he says, you know, you, you shouldn't ever try and change somebody because by wanting to change somebody is the same thing as you saying that you only love half the person. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you, you can't do that. He also says that, you know, if you love a flower, don't pick it up because if you pick it up, it dies and ceases to be what you love. Love is about appreciation, not about possession, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's about, you know, kind of what we're talking about, which is appreciating your partner for who they are and accepting them and accepting their wants, their desires, their ambitions and their dreams. Right. You know? Yeah. These, these next couple, I don't even think we need to elaborate on cause they're pretty straightforward yeah. getting too clingy. Let's, Never, never good. And then this mistake number nine is ignoring red flags, which is kind of like one of the earlier mistakes. It's pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the spectrum. Right. Yeah. Um, But I think that in this one, they were referring more to like name calling, um, aggression, verbalized jealousy, things like that. Yeah. Um, And that's never okay. Overindulgence in, you know, substances, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Yeah. Um, And so mistake number 10, acting too permissive. So this is something that I think is very easy for people to do Uh um, is to kind of like laugh something off and then later something that maybe offends you or hurts your feelings and laugh it off. And then your partner doesn't know that it's an issue, but Uh you're harboring that like resentment, resentment toward them. Oh, that's right. That's a toxic one. That's a toxic one. And I feel like um, most people, sometimes accident, you know, they, they get into that. It's mm-hmm. hard not to, when somebody hurts your feelings, mm-hmm. there's, depending on what your communication style is, uh, the, the most harmonious way to handle that is to communicate with each other. Right. right? And to share a space and open up a space where you could be vulnerable and where your vulnerability will be accepted mm-hmm. and where your feelings will be validated. Right. Both as a female and as a man. Because if we're embodying our divine masculinity and our divine femininity, then, you know, a man expressing his emotions will be seen as strength, not Mm -hmm. weakness. And the same thing when it comes to a female expressing her her emotions, the the man will cherish and honor her feelings and listen. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like as long as, you know, you're, you're sharing that dialogue with your partner, you can resolve a lot of those issues, but you know, you're still a part of our Western society and no matter who you are, you spend enough time with somebody, they're going to piss you off sometimes. Right. So, you know, it, it, sometimes it, it's hard to, to not archive those things in your mind Mm -hmm. because everybody does it. And we use it almost like ammunition anyway. A lot of people use it as these sort of bullets that come out during certain times where it's just like, well, you know, remember when you did this, remember you did that? Yeah. It's really important not to harbor those things. There's a a country song and I can't remember it. I think it's Garth Brooks. 
I think. But one of the lines is, um, you buried the hatchet, but you leave the handle sticking out. <laughs> um, so you're always, you keep picking up things that you should have forgotten about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a handle sticking up situation. Handles. Yeah. Definitely a handle sticking up situation. Those are good ones. Though, yeah. Jan. There's some good ones. Yeah. I thought this was a really great list. Yeah. So, um, uh, number 11, I, I like this one too, trying to predict their feelings. Trying to predict their feelings. Yeah. yeah. How many are there? Are there 20? Um, there's 18. So, oh, okay. so, so we're getting close. Like halfway yeah. there. So not trying to predict their emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that can be equivalent to like, uh, overstepping boundaries and finishing their sentences for them. That kind know. of thing. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's sort of like a go without, goes without saying. Same, because yeah. You know, you'd be pretty presumptuous to. Right. It's yeah. like those people that, you know, will order your dinner for you. Yeah. No, thanks. You know, like <laughs> she wants a cheeseburger. Right. You know. Yeah. Has a guy ever done that? Like on a date oh, where yeah. like he ordered for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's really? a, that's a Southern thing too. Really? And then we'll do that. Oh, they'll I'm, ask you what you're going to get. And then when the wait waitress comes up, they'll order. No, no, I'm not talking about they ask you first. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, or just they directs. Yeah. No, uh, uh, no, no, I've never haven't had anybody do that. Yeah. I'd be curious. I've never met anybody that has, but I've only heard stories about it. Yeah. People doing Ooh, that. God, that would make me uncomfortable. That sort of sets the pace for your whole relationship. Sure it does. Puts you puts your position into perspective. Yeah. Oh, that wouldn't set the pace for a second date with me. <laughs> yeah. The that's how. Born in the wrong era. It's sort of an old nuclear family type of yeah. dynamic, right? Yeah. That's how you see me turn into Houdini. Watch <laughs> me disappear. <laughs> exactly. So, um, number 12, bad mouthing your exes. I think this goes without saying too. nobody wants to hear you talk shit on your ex, yeah. no matter how bad they were. That's true. I don't ever bring up my ex unless they ask about it. And then I give the abridged version of the story and try not to ever talk about it again. Right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to get perspective because, right. you know, it, it's hard for anybody to talk about, you know, the last two or three, six years of their life mm -hmm. just because, you know, uh, their ex is in it. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't, you know, uh, it shouldn't deprive that person of trying to find out more about you. Right. You know, like it, it, when you're asking those questions and trying to get to know somebody, you know, like you, you, you have to account for those times. But I think when it comes to exes and you hear those people that do badmouth their exes at the end of the day, like I realize relationships involve two people. Mm-hmm. So when anybody, when I hear anybody talking negatively about their ex, automatically I just think, well, you had to have contributed to that in some way. Right. Right. Because it isn't the fact that issues exist in relationships because they exist in every relationship, no matter mm -hmm. who you are. It's just about, you know, whether or not you have the awareness and the tools to move through those difficult experiences, you know? And so... Whenever I hear somebody badmouthing, automatically I'm just like, I don't know. There's obviously two sides to the story. Yeah. And I think too, when you're badmouthing someone, it's because you still have hurt feelings and you're not over it. Right. So that to me says you're not ready. Mm. Um, so I, anytime I hear a guy like, oh, she's crazy. She's this, she's that. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, cause you're not over it. Oh yeah. If you call me whenever you've got some perspective. And, and have you experienced that before? I mean, I've heard about stuff like that where it's like people have a lot of negative things to say about their ex, but you think it's because they still have feelings for them. Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah. they, like the, if they had the opportunity, they would still get back into a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that. That's interesting. So the other side of that would be if they didn't have feelings for them, they would just sort of be indifferent. Yeah. Or exactly. it would be more like, yeah, we're friends. Yeah. Well, you know, it didn't yeah. work out for X, Y, or Z reason. Yeah. You know, we were different in these ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when you can talk about it with less emotion, yeah. um, then then that tells me like, hey, okay, this person has moved on and yeah. they and that makes sense. understand it, their feelings. And it mm-hmm. also says a lot about somebody when they're just bad mouthing anybody. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like we talked about earlier in the podcast, which is like watching uh, watching somebody else's behavior and how they interact with other people. Like mm-hmm. how they treat the waiter, right? How they treat their parents, mm-hmm. you know. There's obviously, I think those are red flags, and 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 how they treat people whenever no one is watching. Yes, that's that's true. a big one. Yeah. So this next one, um, I think, goes without saying too, is keeping online dating profiles active. If you're going to date someone and you're feeling the vibes from them, and yeah. y- you know this is somebody that you're seeing more frequently, like maybe turn your dating app off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think have a conversation about that. Right? Yeah, for sure. It, this actually happened to me where um, a guy that I was dating still had his dating app open and matched with one of my friends. Um, and she was like, screenshot it and sent it to me and was like, aren't you dating this guy? And, um, you know, we live in a, a, a small city, right? Like that, that, is so that happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, <laughs> that's a, that's a very, that's a one-off situation, right? That's a very unique situation. But I, I, mean, I mean, maybe some people go through that. But yeah, definitely have a conversation because the one thing that I learned when it came to dating that maybe that was my own naivety mm-hmm. is I'm more of like a I date one person at a time type of person, right? Right. And I don't know when the world changed, mm-hmm. and I don't know when <laughs> when people stopped doing that, right? But, uh, you know, it's normal for people to see several people at once, mm-hmm. you know, and there's also a difference between talking and seeing and yeah. dating, yeah. you know, and I had to learn all those things, obviously the hard way. Yeah. But I, I and I'm not just one, I've met several people that still ascribe to that sort of dating one person at a time. And that's my choice mainly because you're investing a lot of your energy and getting to know somebody. How do you have time? And I'm the type of person that Just, like, if I, if I find somebody that I energetically connect with, like I want them to know that I'm being present 100% with them. Right. That my energy is going to them 100%. Mm-hmm. I feel like they, they, you know. Deserve that. They deserve that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when I, you know, was in that sort of dating community and meeting other people, it was really kind of disorienting. They were just like, yeah, no. So, you know, I'm seeing like five different people right now. Like, like oh, casual. Like, like, I'm like, all right. Oh, well, that yeah, makes me cool. feel special. Yeah. yeah. So it's like if, 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 if you have that conversation with them and you guys are at a point where you want to maintain some level of exclusivity. Yeah. Talk about maybe taking your profiles, profiles now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this one I am very guilty of and it's spilling your guts too soon. And this is part of being an Aquarius, right? We are open books. And if we have anything that happened in our past that was embarrassing or shameful, we have no problem talking about it. That's right. And there's no shame in our game. We're just like, oh yeah, this happened. Because in our minds, we think like, oh, well that happened 20 years ago. I'm not the same person or whatever. Um, But I have a hard time remembering that people can be judgmental whenever you share these stories. Right, too early too. Yeah, and too early. So I have to be really careful about oversharing 
Yeah. And uh, whenever I was dating, that was my, that was definitely one of my downfalls was oversharing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're a very honest person and I appreciate that about you. And I- To a detriment sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know who your friends are and who your real connections are when you're being radically honest, you know? It's crazy that we live in a society where if you're radically honest, you know, it can work to- it can work against you in some ways, but for sure. I could work day, on my delivery for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little, sometimes I'm a little cold. So, and a little aloof. So I know no, that I definitely need to work on that, okay. but I, I can definitely relate to that. I just like, I, I'm just always in this place of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm at, I'm like, okay, well, if, if, if this is really going to go down, I want them to know about me mm-hmm. and within reason, I'm not just completely, you know, like bombarding them with information. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just about keeping the mystery there. Right. And allowing you guys some time to progress. Right. And trusting that those conversations will happen. And as you progress in your relationship, you'll have the opportunity to share those things. Absolutely. You know, not just unloading right away. For sure. So the, so the last three, I'm just going to kind of like brush on them because I feel like these are going to conclude our, Podcast episodes, so they gotta. Yeah, so social media stalking. Bang. We all know what you see on social media is the highlight reel. It's right. not. That's true. It's not who that person really is. Right. There's lots of miserable people that look like they have these wonderful, beautiful lives. Right. So that's true. Um, mistake number seventeen: trying too hard to impress someone. Yeah. And um, mistake number eighteen: tolerating bad behavior, which we've kind of already talked about that too. Right. Um, but trying to too hard to impress, you know, living beyond your means and, right. you know, doing things that you would normally do to yeah. impress this person um, that are kind of outside your character. Yeah. It's just about being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's crazy. You gotta do you. These lists exist mm-hmm. because there are people out there that are not honest. Right. Right. And there are people out there that have sort of ulterior motives when it comes to how they approach relationships. And it's crazy that we have to have these lists in order to really protect ourselves. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. but if we were all operating from, you know, our most integral space, which is from love, um, I feel like the universe will naturally gravitate and move us in the direction of who it is that we're supposed to be with in our lives. Mm-hmm. Because like I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, like we all decided and to incarnate here at this time. Right. And we all come through our, with our cosmic galactic tribes and me and you could have been brother and sister and all the other, you know, other people that we have in our lives are probably a part of that tribe. Yeah. And so if that's the case and we carefully curated this experience to happen at this time to be who it is that we are, then the universe assigns us with a partner that'll help catapult us and sort of help us self-actualize ourselves Mm -hmm. um, through love and relationships you know, so whoever's listening out there, it really, really comes down to love and it really comes down to trust in the universe and loving yourself and understanding your own value. And as long as you are fully integrated with your the love that you have for yourself, like your own value, then you'll naturally sort of exuberate and radiate that energy. And if it's radiating bright enough and long enough and, and, and large enough, your partner will see it. Mm-hmm. There will be somebody out there 
that will see it. That will see it. Absolutely. You know? Luck and, is for losers. You it's not about being lucky. Yeah. And you won't have to look for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, when I read, when I think back of all the experiences that I've had in my life, when it came to relationships or um, situations, the best, most profound experiences came when I definitely did not expect it. Mm-hmm. And they came when I was just doing me, mm-hmm. when I was investing in myself. Yeah. And when I think back also too of those times where I was out there seeking something as a way either for validation or trying to, you know, uh, use it as some sort of coping. Right. I brought the wrong people into my life. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess the moral of the story is just love. Love and and not being desperate. And not being desperate. Yeah. Not being desperate. Because that desperation just brings more desperation into your life. That's true. You got to manifest what you want in a positive way. Absolutely. And you got to be honest and you have to just practice acceptance, love, forgiveness, and peace. Right? Absolutely. Yes. It's been a really, really wonderful time conversing with you today, Jen. Always, only always. And if you guys, thank you so much for tuning in and dialing into our podcast. This episode will be available on Apple Podcasts. Um, you will also be able to find the video on YouTube. If you have questions about the podcast, you could find us at www.divine-nobodies.com. We're also on Instagram at divine period nobodies period podcast. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you again next week and namaste. Love each other. Take care of yourselves.